Welcome. I'm J. Michael Silver, and this is Foundational Steps, the show where I talk with people about the choices they made in the past to get where they are in life. In this episode, I'm talking with Jody Bentley. She is a powerhouse actor, producer, creative business coach, just an unstoppable entrepreneur. We have such a great conversation about her childhood and early motivations to create success for herself. If you ever wanted to pursue a career as an actor, make sure you download her free ebook. Link is in the show notes. All their links to find Jody and timestamps for things that came up while we talked are in the show notes as well. Don't forget to leave a comment or review. I'd love to hear your thoughts and check out our affiliate links in the show notes. There might be something of value for you. Enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Jody. It's good to see you again. Hi, good to see you. <laughs> so obviously, we were talking beforehand, which is why we're laughing, which is yep. uh, always fun. Um, you know, real quick before we jump in, uh, it just kind of occurred to me: uh, we know each other from acting. We know each other from a workshop. Yes, five years back, six years now. <laughs> Something like that. I started, I went to that workshop in 2013 when I first moved to LA. I feel like you were there. I was there. Oh yeah, I was there because I was there. I I think, I mean, if, if, if I was still in the workshop today, I think I've been going there for probably 18 years. Since almost the very beginning of that workshop. Got it. So eight years, eight, nine years then. Yeah. My God, time just flies. (laughs) I had no idea it'd been that long. Yep. That's funny. Yep. And and you were a New York actor? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I lived in New York for 20 years, went to college there. So yeah, I was there for 20 years total. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. And then and then you're out here and doing the thing as everyone does. And and thing. um I'll I'll do there's a little preamble that I kind of do to kind of introduce the guest and and uh so I'll talk a little bit more about who you are. Right. And um because you know it, it may or may not come up in our conversation um great. so we'll great, see great. so i'll dive into my first big question um <laughs> which is at what point in time did it occur to you that you were alive in this body having this experience and your choices like actually had an effect on your your surroundings your life your 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 being i know good question <laughs> <laughs> I'm like are you my therapist what's happening um you know i feel like i have multiple answers to this question honestly like the first thing that pops in my head was preschool nice <laughs> um it, i love the earlier for me i find it more interesting because it's not that later answers aren't real but i feel like sometimes later experiences sometimes make us forget mm. our more early experiences and and then they get colored our early experiences if we remember them then shed light on our later experiences that have kind of eclipsed you know what i mean yeah a thousand and, percent so thousand percent. and maybe it's also being being an actor and doing the internal work but you know maybe that's why you're able to recall and think about that preschool so right. let's hear it <laughs> um 
I was the kid at preschool who like, as soon as my mom dropped me off, I was like, bye and like ran in and needed to know what was going on, was curious about everything and had this sense of freedom. Nice. Um, and I think, look, I mean, I, I, I talked about this stuff and uh, unmind this stuff for years of, of my childhood and how it's affected mm -hmm. me. Um, I grew up with a special needs sister. So she was two years older than I, um, and she still functions on the level of a two-year-old. So, wow. yeah. So essentially I was the, you know, the younger sister, always the older sister. Mm -hmm. um, and that family dynamic really shaped me, of, of, of course. Right. And mm -hmm. I think at a very young age, I was very aware that my sister was different. Um, we called her special. She was special in my family. That's how we always referred to her. I mean, I, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned from my parents was belonging and, and she, everyone belongs and everyone has a place, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we're not hiding her away because she's different. Like she went to the supermarket, she went here and she'd cause a ruckus and make a mess, but it's what happened. And it's yeah. just what she did, you know, and it was fine. Um, but I think I realized very early on the 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 dynamic was different but it was fine it's who she was and i embraced it but the right relationship with my parents was very different mm -hmm. and i had so much responsibility on me as a kid and i think i was hyper hyper aware of not making the situation worse for them oh that's interesting yeah so I was the good girl, got straight A's, never rocked the boat, didn't cause the problems. I'm independent. I can take care of myself. I don't need you. I was very autonomous at a young age, um, which I feel, you know, I lost out a lot on that, um, you know, parental sure. connections. And, but and you didn't know that at that time. No, that I didn't learn that till my 20s and even still yeah. in my 40s, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't realize that or how much I was missing out on. But I just knew that I was this independent person who had to be independent and I can take care of myself. And I did. And I think even at eight years old, that probably deepened because then I became the built-in babysitter for my sister. Mm -hmm. I, I took care of her, you know, I was parenting her almost to help my parents working, mm -hmm. both working full-time and trying to balance having two kids and a special needs daughter. Um, so I, yeah, I think I realized early on that the choices I make is going to affect this entire family. Yeah. So I got to make the right choice. Yeah. That's powerful. That's really yeah. powerful. So mm -hmm. you said there's a few other moments. So were the other moments when you were still, let's just say under the age of 25? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So how did those moments kind of reshape or realign you in your kind of awareness of, you know, making choices and, and being in this body kind of thing? Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I think around like eight, nine, 10, there was a shift in responsibility. Mm -hmm of, again, I just think that deepened that whole thing of um, uh, just responsibility or the, the the choices I make are uh, affect everybody, you know, mm -hmm. and I have to do right by everybody. Um, then I think it was, it was, it was going into junior high school um, where then, you know, in my high school, okay, so I grew up in a town um, in, in Massachusetts, New Bedford, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. 
And it was, I mean, it was a city and it's a very middle-class, lower middle-class city. It was a melting pot of people, you know, like I always grew up with diversity. Like there's, you know, Puerto Ricans, Cape Verdeans, black, all like I grew up with all those, everything in New York. I lived there melting pot, California melting pot. You know, I've always been in a diverse community and like my high school, I graduated with 3000 people in my high school. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Your senior class was 3000 people in high school? The the whole high school was over 3000. Like my graduating class, I think had... There's not that like a thousand, you know. Yeah, maybe like I mean, it's still a lot of people. It's a big, it was yeah, a big, school. it's huge. Um, so oh gosh, now I lost my train of thought. Um, it was just big school. Oh, 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 so go, so junior high, junior high was rough. Mm-hmm. Junior high kids brought knives in, they yep. had to do it, you know, like it was rough. I had similar experience in, in my you? junior high, yeah, because Ooh. that was the first time where a lot of different neighborhoods were coming together. And mm-hmm. so we didn't know each other necessarily. Like there were some sports where, you know, the different neighborhoods would mix, but for the most part, um, junior high was the first time there was a lot of kids that we had never met or didn't know existed. And they were from right. all, you know, wealthier, uh, less, less money. And, um, <laughs> I had more than one run in with, uh, with kids and not, um, I mean, some were white, some were black, some were Hispanic that were gang members. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't know what a gang was. I just, but I knew that I didn't want to be on the bad side of a gang <laughs> if I could all avoid it. <laughs> right. So, you know that energy, right? Yeah. I know that energy. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to get involved with this. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, so it was, it was t- similar. It was, it was just tough. You know, like I would be afraid to go to the bathroom during class. Cause I knew I'd get beat up if I went yeah. to the bathroom, you know, I managed to talk myself out of everything whenever I was Me confronted. Too. I don't know how the heck I did that, but it did yeah. little five, you know, five foot, whatever girl, a little white girl talking herself out of these crazy situations. You know, my sister was the same way. And I kind of always thought it was uh, a little bit of how we were raised, but then as we got older, I think, felt like my sister because she was so small like I don't she never made it to five foot um she I think she lied for a short period of time and was like I'm five foot she never made it to five foot um but um you know the older I got I think that she was tough because she was small Mm. and and I I started noticing that as I got older so I don't know if that's for you was part of it just being small you're like nope you know, or what? Yeah. I just think it was, well, I think I learned in junior high and that that's when kids got mean. I mean, let's just be real. Right. Like in, in, you know, elementary school, I feel like hormones start kicking. It's just, it's just different. Yep. But that's like, I distinctly remember a moment. My sister was in the front yard of the house on her tricycle and these like boys, teenage boys, 13, 14 walked by the house. And I remember I was in the front room and I could hear, and they were walking by yelling at her, making fun of her saying all this stuff. Hmm. And little like 12 year old Jody like walks out of the house and I let them have it, you know? So Wonder I think- Wonder Woman coming to the rescue. <laughs> exactly. I was like, you do not talk to her that way. Yeah. Um, so I think there was just a lot of like, I felt like I had to fight for her and stand up for her and stand up that she had a place and you can't put her down. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of that came from protection and, and wanting to protect her, which then carried over into junior high. I've got to protect myself. I don't want to get beat up. You know, I got to protect myself. So I think I just learned to stand up for myself through her as well. Just protecting her. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I mean, the, the fascinating thing for me that 
regarding the things that shape us is that more often than not, they're unconscious. We don't really choose them. Right. And we are forced into making a choice, which, you, you know, you could look at it a couple different ways. You can say we're forced into making a choice, or you can say our, our nature comes out and we, yeah. we, we make the choice because this is who we are, you know? Yeah, I agree more with that. Because yeah. there's multiple, I could have just let them say what they said and not say anything. Could have hidden. You could have gone right. out there and watched. Right. I mean, there, yeah, there, there's a, a myriad of possibilities, but there's some innate part of you or part of all of us that for whatever reason makes the choice. And, and some of that is conditioning. Some of that I think is nature. And yeah. in order to make any changes, uh, you know, you have to be aware of who, who, how, what your natural instincts are and mm -hmm. what your natural conditioning is. You don't necessarily have to separate the two, I don't think, but right. you do have to accept, you know, who and, and what you are to be able mm -hmm. to say, okay, I, I want to make this change now. Right. And, um, right. yeah. And that's, that's, I think one of the most interesting things for me when I'm talking to people is it, it's not so much you know, were they aware of making the choice, but, but just what choice they made. Yeah. Um, and, and having an awareness as it's happening, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. for me. Um, mm -hmm. Does that, were you, so you're, mm -hmm, did you have a sense of like almost out-of-body, like you're, you're almost going out there and you're almost watching yourself do this? I think I had lots of moments like that, yeah. but I, on the flip side, I think a lot of it was unconscious as well. Like, I think it was both. Um, I think the, oh gosh. Like the conscious moment, like, so we're talking about these conscious moments, like where you're, you're in this body and you're making these decisions. Yeah. So when did that happen? Like, so like specifically with the, the kids in the front yard, you go out there and yeah. you're like, nah, not happening and she kind of taught you how to stand up after that moment did you kind of have a rush of like what did i just do or i just did that or was it the moment before running out there or do you have or do you not remember i don't something? recall yeah. but all of it it just it just it I just want to say it felt like who I was. Like, I feel yeah. like I already became that person. Like, I feel right. like just by the nature of being her sister and being in that family conditioned me to, I don't want to say fight. That's not the word I mean, but just- um, Be strong, stand up. Protect, be yeah. in responsibility, be in responsibility. Yeah, be, yeah. I, I love that, being responsibility. And and that really, I think, goes back to preschool then, because that really is the the defining moment, it sounds like, for you. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, and that's, I mean, that's so powerful. Uh, I, I feel like because, you know, I, I mean, it's, it doesn't matter when it happens to some regard, but the more, I think, you know, we look at, you know, where these things come from, we can draw power from them. You know, yeah. even if, even if it, you were, you know, quote unquote weak in that moment, you can still draw power from that because oh, sure. yeah. I, sure. Do you see totally 
off where we were going, but did you have moments of how you, would you define yourself at and any weird moments as being weak? Like, because it sounds like you have just this amazing history of strength and putting yourself out there. That's a really great question. And the word weak is very triggering, isn't it? Um, it's an interesting- No one wants word. to be weak. Right, right. Yeah. On yeah. note, I'll be vulnerable, but weak is, yeah. that's an interesting word. Right. Um, you know, I think, well, talking about coping, right? Mm -hmm. I, I had to, I had to learn to cope with my family dynamic because it was so different and there was so much pressure that was put on me or that I took upon myself. Mm -hmm. And I think coping as a, as a kid was also about retreating. Mm. Um, Wait, re retreating physically or mentally, emotionally, or how? Emotionally, emotionally okay. retreating. So I think that's where I could say I felt weak, meaning emotionally, I wasn't heard in my house. My, my emotions didn't matter, right? I was never asked, how do you feel? Those were never questions that were asked to me. So I think I felt, I so I retreated. I held my emotions in. I didn't complain. I didn't say how I felt. I didn't, I didn't talk about that. It was just like, well, this is the way things are. And like, you know, I was like, doo -doo 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 -doo. like it was fine. It was, you know, happy go lucky Jody. Um, but I think there was a lot of, a lot of pain and a lot of sadness that I never expressed, which I think now adult Jody would say, well, that was weak, right? Like, I wish I could have voiced that as opposed to just retreating and putting on a mask of covering up that everything was okay. And that's, I think that's actually a perfect example of what I meant by, you know, those, those are the moments where we can draw tremendous power from because even though you felt or saw yourself as weak in that moment, looking backwards or, you know, thinking about that because it, it's a stark contrast to just, you know, oh, I'm hungry. I'm gonna go, you know, um, to the refrigerator or cabinet and get some food. Like there's a stark moment. And because there's a stark moment there, there's a, a, a wealth of energy, uh, or power yeah. or, um, you know, what have you. And, and, and that's where we draw our strength from yeah. and, and for, for me. And, and that's kind of how anytime I've worked with someone or anytime, you know, I've been, you know, whether it's outside of acting or inside of acting to me, that's, you know, the, a perfect kind of, 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 a, an example of like, this is a good place. This is, yeah. this is not a place we need to shy from. This is a place that we need to live a little bit more because there's so much power because we can't change that moment. All we can do is accept it and, and, and draw from it. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's like my, my parents were um, teachers and entrepreneurs and their big entrepreneurial for the most of my life was, but they were, um, in headhunting staffing. Oh, so okay. they, you know, recruiters and, and, uh, temporary work and permanent placement. And so interviewing skills, how to interview someone and how to be interviewed for jobs was kind of like the first life lesson. <laughs> um, and the, the weakness or your failures were probably my father's favorite thing in the world to find out because he felt if a candidate 
didn't recognize or wasn't able to point to any failures, mm. then they were untested. And at the first sign of, you know, adversity, which you're guaranteed to have in a job sooner or later, yeah. they're going to buckle. Mm. And he didn't want to be in the trenches with them um, because he didn't yeah. have time building a business to deal with um, a, an untested person, no matter how long they've been working. They could be 50 years old and have a, a great resume. Right. They're, they're, <laughs> they're going to take a hit, <laughs> you know, sooner than later. So, right. um yeah, going back to the coping mechanisms, uh, when did you first start to kind of recognize that you had coping mechanisms or that you were dealing with things in a particular way, one way or the other? And what oh God. were they? Uh, I don't think I was, oh God. I want to say, my gut is saying that I wasn't consciously aware of coping mechanisms until college. Oh. I think I was so intertwined in my family dynamic, so, which infiltrated, you know, everything I did. But yeah, I think for sure, you know, look at 17 years old, I remember being like, I'm out. I got to I got to get out. I got to move. I got to get out of here. I need I need to soar. I need space because yeah. I started to feel suffocated in this place because I wasn't Look, I mean, I excelled through high school, you know, I mean, like I said, my graduating class, graduating class had like a thousand kids. I was ranked three out of a thousand. You know? Oh, wow. I, I excelled completely. Yeah. yeah. I was going to go to Brown med school for pre-med and then I got accepted early to NYU for acting. And I was like, bye, go to New York, you know, <laughs> so. Um, a stable career as a doctor or the most unstable career possible as an actor. <laughs> actor, please. <laughs> yes, please. I'll play one on TV. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. So like, it's, I mean, I got accepted early to NYU. I moved at 17 to New York city. I was like, nice. I, I needed, I needed that. Mm -hmm. I and, and I think as soon as I moved, it was just like, it was, it was, it was almost a reality slap in the face of looking back at everything going, whoa, look at what you dealt with. Look at what you did. And, and not from, a, you know, an angry place, <laughs> anger towards my parents came later, but you know, that was in sort of an angry place, but it was just like, oh, holy shit. Can I swear on this? I don't even know what to say. Yeah, but it yeah. was, okay. It was, it was just this awareness of whoa, all the choices that I made and the freedom that I felt mm -hmm. and then being in acting class and choosing to be an actor and feeling seen and heard in my choices all the time mm -hmm. was so fulfilling and um, almost a relief where then I became aware of some of the coping mechanisms that I wasn't aware of, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, before we talk about anything that you're aware of do you remember <laughs> what you did as as like a, a young teenager and like like did you I, I and i know nothing about you on this on this aspect but you know uh drugs alcohol cigarettes caffeine sugar you know other types of food those are all very common coping mechanisms right uh skipping school um you know boys girls you know like there's so many different things that we use consciously unconsciously to kind of find our relief did yeah. you have any of the stereotypical coping mechanisms 
Oh gosh, Michael, I was such a good girl. I was such <laughs> a good girl. It didn't really surprise me to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. like, this could be an interesting line of questioning. <laughs> I mean, look, I went through my parents' liquor cabinet with my best friend Jessica and sure. we would drink some vodka and then fill it up with water and think no one would notice. Do you know what I mean? Like we did that. I would drink a wine cooler here and there and think I was whatever. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um <laughs> But no, I mean, you know, people were smoking pot and I was like, I can't, I can't do that. Like I was such a goody two shoes, but I think, I think I was terrified to lose control. Yeah. I, I think I learned how to control my life. I learned how to control the situation that I was in and mm -hmm. anything that would make that unravel was scary. I think to me at the time. So another thing that I've seen, um, perhaps this maybe fits you better is a common coping mechanism um kind of the unconscious is overachiever so were you like class well, yeah. president you're you're number three i was the president of drama club voted the most likely to succeed my gpa was like 3.9 whatever i was in the drama club in three choruses and show choir i was a workaholic at 13 14 sports know? as well sports as Not well sports. or no sports. it was all, all academic, academic and, and performing arts yeah creative yeah. totally yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, that's something my ther therapist said to me. She's like, well, at least you chose to be the overachiever because you could have gone in the other direction. Yeah. She's like, with everything you've gone through, she's like, it's pretty amazing that you chose to be the overachiever. I yeah. somehow managed to kind of do a little bit of both, I think, um, because I played like uh, every season I had a different sport. Okay. Um, I was, you know, doing theater, I was singing, uh, in the, you know, I was in the choir, I was in a traveling touring singing group. Mm. Um, I was also doing drugs, drinking, <laughs> uh, partying and, um, chasing, you know, the girls as well. So like, well, I mean, look, I had a lot of boyfriends. We'll say that yeah. <laughs> that was probably, the, that was probably the vice, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, but, but honestly, I do believe that, um, you know, school scholastics and academics can be a, a, a vice and a coping mechanism just as equally and yeah. can be, can be dangerous for some people. Like, mm -hmm. and when I say dangerous, meaning, you know, they hide behind it, they hide, uh, and they use it to hide from and, um, or to, you know, preach from, you know, it's, it's a position mm -hmm. of power that they can control. And sure. I've seen people, unfortunately, unravel and they usually, mm. those types of people, like, I think your acting probably set you free. What is what I'm hearing? Yeah, totally. The, the other type that doesn't have the arts and, and is the overachiever, you know, valedictorian type, uh, all the scholastics ends up somewhere around 30, you know, from their high, high paying lawyer job or you know, whatever, you know, lawyers, the stereotypical, sure. but they're in a position of power. They're making a ton of money and they crack. Yeah. Uh, I met a few years back, um, as a, actually a number of years ago already, I, I met this woman, um, and, and hanging out like she was, she was pretty normal for the most part. Um, we got along, it wasn't a great fit, but yeah. her friend group, were all these ultra successful 30 somethings okay. going through um, adolescence all over again because yeah. they didn't get it. And they were all like trying all the drugs out, trying, you know, the alcohols and the wines and the travel, and they had the money <laughs> to be dangerous. 
Um, and I, I think for the most part, they were, they were being mindful and, and they were actually doing a, a good job of being responsible and taking care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I have met a few people that did not take care of themselves, but it is, it is a, ha- a potential hazard. So, yeah. yeah. So you're in college, you're all of a sudden free and you start to understand some of your coping mechanisms. Um, I'm guessing it was unlocked through acting. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I just think having the space from my family unit, you know, like just, just to, to be able to see it from a distance and not be in it and to see their coping mechanisms and their, my mom's passive aggressiveness and Mm. just to, to see all of that in you know, because uh, I think as a as a kid, I didn't want to see that anything was wrong to your parents, and you can't yeah. see that anything is wrong because then you'll crack as a kid because then you can't put trust in your parents. So that distance sort of helped me see that. Mm. Um, but I do think it was acting that, like you said, I think it I think it definitely s- saved me and soothed my soul to some degree to just have that creative outlet that and that wasn't you know responsible right it was just i get to play i get to play yeah. but then of course then i make a business out of play which has a whole level other level of, yeah i mean i'm sure we could know? probably spend um, hours just on on what that all is and I mean, right. acting as a, any kind of artistic endeavor as a business is a whole yeah. another thing unto itself totally. um i'm curious this is also just kind of a bit of a, a side thing with your experience. Um, you know, there's some parallels between you and I, and I am a, I just think that the arts are the, the most important thing in a child's development. And not that it's not important for adults as well, but I feel like we need as a culture, as a society to give our children, you know, um, our, our fellow humans, the most, the best exposure to art, you know, whether it's singing, music, uh, acting, painting, sculpting, Mm -hmm. I I think we just need to give it all to them because some of them are going to be drawn to, you know, one versus the other or three versus those or whatever. And it will, keep us healthier and safer. Do you have a similar sense of that from your experience? Oh gosh, of course. I mean, it's, (laughs) I don't want to make this all about that. I don't want to turn this into like a social political, you know, (laughs) war cry, but. It's true though. I mean, look, at, at, at 10 years old, I distinctly remember it not nine, nine, 10, 10 years old. Um, one of my friends, his mom, asked my mom, oh, there's, there's auditions at the high school. Can I bring Jody with, I think, Curtis to, to go audition? And my mom was like, sure, do you want to audition? I was like, yes. And that's when I, I did my first high school show nice. at, when I was 10. But that's what saved me then. Because I could already see my world shrinking and the, like losing myself in, that, in the dynamic I was in. And that totally saved me. And my high school, the arts program that we had was freaking phenomenal Mm -hmm. like we won awards everywhere traveled to toronto traveled here like our courses won things our drama club we rented costumes from new york from the broadway shows because the um our uh, our directors of the high school drama club were the um artistic directors of the uh, regional theater in town like it was like you know we're performing in like a 1500 seat auditorium like Mm -hmm. it was incredible that i moved to new york and i'm like what's this 20 seat black box where's my dressing room it was crazy (laughs) you know um 
but all of that, I know that that saved me. Yeah. Completely. And I just think it's so important to have an outlet and a creative outlet, especially now. I can't imagine um, totally getting on a different topic, but being a kid growing up today with social media, with all of like all of this, I can't, I don't even know what that would have done to my psyche. It's at, interesting. At I'm watching my, I have a um, two young nephews. Um, I hope I don't screw up their ages. I don't think they're listening anyways, but 15, <laughs> <laughs> 15 and, and uh, 12. Okay. And I'm watching uh, kind of what's happening with them. Yeah. Um, the eldest is, um, the youngest isn't so much into it yet, um, but the eldest is, for whatever reason, this the way he's wired in my sister's family, he's using TikTok as an educational platform. And yes. he has so much knowledge, like arcane, random, weird stuff that it's like, why do you know this? Like, who are you? I have a 16 year old niece who is on the TikTok all the time. That's how she, that's how she's learning. Oh, I want to make this recipe. I learned about it on TikTok, this thing. I'm like, what? What are you? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm monitoring Yeah, one of his uh, good friends is uh, has a business and she makes, I don't know how much money she's making, but she makes these like little crochet uh, animals like pets. Uh -huh. And so he bought a bunch of um, crocheted pets and they're really adorable and nice and based off of the family dog. And she was able to make these and replicate them very well so they all look the same oh my um, god he gave us all uh you know basically the family dog a uh, little version miniature cool. versions. yeah it's amazing and um i i think there's an opportunity to be an entrepreneur for a child that like i mowed lawns that was my first job and my my father needed a new lawnmower so I, I bought him a new lawnmower by, by getting, by wow. getting clients around the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so social media, it's, yeah, it's a whole nother game, but game. I, again, is it being used for that? You know, how right. are kids being introduced? Um, right. so some of the coping mechanisms I'm guessing that you developed or understood in, in, in college through performing and acting came from early on acting and performing in the arts. So mm -hmm. like, how do you see those or, or how do you define them? Well, I think when I got to college, then I started drinking, right? That was the coping <laughs> yeah. mechanism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 17 years old, getting into those bars, the Mexican bars never carded. It was awesome. Nice. Um, <laughs> or not so nice, I don't know. Exactly, I know, right? Yeah. Right. Um, Drinking was definitely um, a coping mechanism. Um, uh, I mean, acting was a coping mechanism mm. in and of itself, right? To to allow myself to feel anger. I remember yeah. taking an acting class my freshman year, and you know, some like big angry scene, and I like I couldn't I couldn't do it. I didn't know how to let that emotion out. You know, especially as a woman, I think we're conditioned in a different way to oh, approach yeah. anger. Um, but just as a kid, I never got angry about anything. You know. Um, so I mean, the acting really helped me tap into that. Um, but I think coping mechanisms still, I was a loner, you know, I was definitely, I mean, now I think people look at me as like, oh, she's so social. She knows so many people. I was alone. Like I, I had like a little group of friends, but I was a loner, you know, even my junior year of college, I went away and uh, interned at a theater for like six months. I had enough credits. I came back, I took a couple classes and I graduated early and I walked down the graduation aisle alone. I had no friend group in college. 
That's really fascinating, especially because theater is so clicky. Mm -hmm. So how did you deal with that element? Um, I mean, I was sad. I was lonely. <laughs> That's how I dealt with it. I went back to the Mexican bar. I did some tequila. Uh, uh, I mean, but again, it's all choices I made. Like I made the choice to like, I, cause I didn't want to spec my parents took out loans to put me through college. I took out loans to put me through college. I mean, we were middle-class, lower middle-class. NYU was fucking expensive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and the fact yeah, that yeah, they super. supported me for that. I mean, I got a scholarship and stuff, but still. Yeah, it's not covering everything. To pay those off, those loans. Um, I mean, just to live in New York. I mean, even if even if you had all of tuition covered, just to live in New York and feed yourself and clothe yourself. I mean, that's super expensive. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it adds so, up. So I had enough credits. So I, I worked at a summer stock theater and then they're like, well, do you want to stay? You know, for, uh, you know, into my, like I guess it was into my senior year, I guess I stayed the first mm -hmm. semester of my senior year. Um, and then I think I went back and did a couple credits. Um, but it was to save money too. I didn't have to pay for that semester. So yeah, I made the choice to stay. But what I noticed, and when I can go back now and look, is so many choices that I made kept me alone hmm. in some way. That's to keep me from the real connections, the real friendships, the real community, which I think the older I got, I started to create my own community, yeah, right? Yeah, like, for sure. like now on Facebook, I have a community of 4,000 actors who tune in to hear what I say. Do you know what I mean? Because I create that community. I have 200, 300 clients in one of my programs. I've created that community and they support me and I support them, but I've created that. Like now I know the importance of it. Do you think you could be creating the community the way you create community had you not been such a loner? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, I have this conversation with my husband all the time. Even this morning we were talking about it and and you know, it's just talking about how much responsibility I had as a kid and and he was like he's like, "Well, I'm glad you had responsibility." And I was like, "What? What do you mean?" And he was like, "Well, then you you that's why you are who you are now." Yeah. And I was like, oh, fine, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I know that I get that. So, you know, I mean, all this stuff, you know, gosh, I understand so much about myself and can feel like, oh, God, I, why did I have to have that experience? Or, you know, I look at other people's families or, you know, women my age who are best friends with their mothers and I get jealous of that when I go, well, but that's made me who I am now and why I'm the person I am now. And I don't want to change who I am now. Yep. You I know? mean, I think that's one of the one of the things that I, you know whoever's listening out there you know if they are feeling you know like they don't have any friends or you know and they're in their early 20s uh and they're doing this thing alone like that shouldn't be de depressing you know because in the moment it can be and i'm sure you had yeah. your moments of severe like sure. oh my god this is the worst thing ever uh, you know and <laughs> i've isolated myself um most most of the times i've isolated myself were pretty conscious or or i was conscious mm -hmm. that i caused the isolation sure um but it's still tough it's still difficult yeah. and there's such a, amazing value in that if you can understand that this too can and will serve you if you allow it to right and right. like i know you are doing that now yeah but you know not everyone listening might be doing that and that i mean that's a really mm -hmm. huge part of why i'm asking you know, these in-depth kind of really personal questions is yeah. because, you know, I, I had um, a woman on, on LinkedIn um, was requesting career counseling uh, services. I can't remember what the category, what they call it on LinkedIn. So, you know, I, I submitted my proposal. Hey, this is, you know, kind of in a nutshell, how I work. And, um, you know, I, 
I, I have a background in this. Mm -hmm. uh, let me see if we vibe and if we get along, let's, let's figure out how I can help you. And um, she was like, great, what time, what's available? So I sent her a little calendar link. And then the next morning I, I get a message from her saying, you know, I, I just, I've changed my mind, you know, thanks. And I'm like, well, just for my own metrics, analytics, yeah. would you mind telling me why? And she said, honestly, I can't afford it. And I said, I never told you how much it was going to cost or if it was going to cost anything. So, you know, why don't we talk or, or let me see what I can do for you. And, you know, no matter what we, you know, I've told you I'd do a 15 minute thing you know, I checked the box, you know, yep. 15 minute and, you know, typically my, my kind of modus operandum is I want to give as much information as possible. If you think you can do it on your own, good luck. You know, mm -hmm. if you want someone to hold your hand, I'll hold your hand because ultimately you've got to do the work. I can yeah, just tell right. you what to do, like, right. but it's, it's your work to do. Yeah. And, um, we, we chatted for another minute uh, online and, and basically what her real concern was is just resume services. And I'm like, you don't really want to hire someone for that anyhow. Like, yeah. so I gave her some resources, um, you know, to do resumes and Canva actually is, has an amazing service. I know you probably Love use it. Canva. Yeah. Canva yeah. has an amazing resume service. Yep. So, and it doesn't really cost you much or nothing, depending on how you use it. Um, and she was like, Oh my God, thank you. You're like the first person that's actually like, you know, offered that help at all. And I'm like, how is that possible? Like LinkedIn is like designed for right? nothing, but you know, B2B and, and like interactivity and networking. Yeah. Um, and that really is at the heart of why I feel like these conversations are so important to have mm -hmm. because if people like her find this or, or people not like her that are in need of other types of this type of stuff, because she just needs resume. She feels good on the other stuff right now. This is where you can get it for free, mm -hmm. you know? So I, you know, I just, I know we're in the middle of this, but thank you for being <laughs> so open and honest. I mean, it does, it, it does. It's the whole value of this thing as I see it. So, yeah. um, of course. so you, you're, you're getting through college, you're, you're drinking, you're being alone, you're, you're doing what you've got to do. <laughs> Sounds really sad. Now that I talk about it, I'm drinking <laughs> alone, all alone. You know, I mean, no, you I know mean, this, uh, any perspective, you know, with the right perspective, anything can be glorious and anything can be uh, horrific, uh, you of know, horrible, horrible. so of um, when you get out of school, now you're tasked with the Herculean, I don't know any other way of saying <laughs> it, <a> living. <laughs> making a living as an actress. Uh, and let's be honest, it might've gotten easier for women over the last 10 years, but you were doing this longer than 10 years ago. And even, even now it's still, it's difficult for anyone sure. period, full stop. Yeah. And yeah. then certain people have even more difficult times, um, ahead of them. And, and I, I can go down a whole rabbit hole of, <laughs> of difficult times for, for reasons that, yeah. Uh, Anyways. Uh, um, <laughs> so how did your coping mechanisms begin to change because now we're getting into kind of the new lives and like, you know, the different kind of stages and different yeah. lives you've lived. So how does this start to evolve for you and how do you start to kind of make all this work for you? 
Yeah, I think after college, or let me, I think it was my last, probably my last year of college, and again, once I started feeling like I'm at the finish line and it's freedom, um, I think that's when the rebel kind of kicked in. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, rebelled against my parents, rebelled against everything they stood for, rebelled against how they talked to me, rebelled against how just everything, you know. Um, you know, dated the bad boys, did all the, you know, I, my year after graduation, I didn't act at all. I didn't act for a whole year. Oh, wow. I got into a money you job. I was making try. like, no, because I was making like a grand a week at this job, sales job. Yeah. I, I was able to get my own apartment in New York. Like I didn't even have that roommate experience. I was living alone at 21, 22, you know, um, like you talk about choices, right? I'm living all alone by myself because um, I'm a loner. And, but I was making really good money. And I remember at one point, maybe a year after graduation, my dad was like, uh, you know, we're paying these student loans. Uh, you know, can you, uh, you doing something with this? Like what's going on? Um, and, uh, and then I kind of like, was like, okay. Cause I got caught up into making money, got caught up into nightclub scene after hours parties. Like you were, you know, we're out partying till 4am, 5am, 6am in New York. Cause you made money all day and then you party and you sleep and you have to bring money all day, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was super fun. Cause I never did that. So it was time to, you know, rebel against it all. And, um, but yeah, then that got old, you know, pretty yeah. quick. No, that's, it's interesting though, because I was going to ask, and you kind of answered the question, um, just now, but I was going to ask, did your rebelling coincide with making money? <laughs> because it's so much easier to rebel when you've got money. <laughs> it's, Good point. <laughs> Like, yep. not, that, not that you yep. can't rebel without money, but you rebel in different ways. Sure. And, um, sure. you know, there's, and, and then depending on the relationship and depending on, yeah, a bunch of things like, yeah, but that mm -hmm. it's such a fascinating thing. The, um, and there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's a good thing. You know, I, there, I, I wish that I would have been more money hungry because mm -hmm. I would have been able to go through a few things early on when it would have been easier mm. and um, then later on in my late 30s, early 40s, where it's like, oh God, I still got to worry about money. Like, <laughs> why didn't I, why didn't I just take care of this crap earlier. Like mm -hmm. I outlined an entire book a couple of years ago, two years ago, three years ago on, on financial literacy. And I I'm having, I've been having problems actually writing it because I go back and forth on who it's for. Mm. So, because when I outlined it, I'm like, this is what you need to know at 18. But then as I started looking at that, I was like, yeah, but most of the stuff, like you really need to start focusing. You don't really have to start focusing on until you're like 25, 30. And right. then some of it's retirement stuff. So it's like, you know, no matter how hard you hit on a, you know, 25 year old to say, you know, your retirement will come earlier and earlier and earlier. The sooner you look at this, they're just not going to pay attention no. nine times out of 10. No. So like, I, you know, who, I, I, I can't, I haven't figured out how to actually write it yet because I don't know who it's for. Got and it. every time I think about it, it's for a different, yeah, for a different yeah, stage of life. But, um, yeah, yeah. It, but so I, 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 
I, I kind of envy you to a certain degree that you went through that and you owned that whole money, you know, earn money. Um, and oh, care about money let me just on. interrupt and go say that it was fleeting. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, it maybe a good, like two years, three years, maybe, you know what I mean? Um, but then it, you know, it, 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 then I, then I started acting. <laughs> You know, I mean, I mean, I did make money for a bit and I did start an IRA in my early twenties. I just didn't keep funding it. Yeah. Well, like, Hey, at least you started it. I tell my assistants that now are in their twenties. I'm like, start your IRA, compound interest, compound interest is your friend, please. Oh my God. If compounding interest should be the first thing taught, I think in like ninth grade. Maybe? Oh my God. Like you know, early on that, that should yeah. be one of the most important things that kids understand is compounding interest mm -hmm. because I don't, I kind of have a general way of looking at the world, which is we are all businesses unto ourselves. Mm. Uh, we are all entrepreneurs, whether we like mm. it or not, some of yep. us just accept it or not. And social media, I think to kind of what we talked about earlier is, um, is exposing that, you know, yeah. you know, Facebook yeah. makes money off of our data. Google makes money off of our data. All of these services, mm -hmm. you know, all the news outlets, every mm -hmm. single thing that we're tied into makes money off of our data. And we see none of it because we don't see ourselves as business entities. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, if that's a whole other topic for another time. So... <laughs> So you get into acting, then how, how do, you know, how does the rebelling change from that point? Then? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, even, even through acting, I, I worked in sales, which was all commission-based. Yeah. So I worked really hard and hustled. Mm -hmm. Then I started my own sales company in New York. Um, so course. I had my own team of salespeople that I trained, right. And did that. That was my first business. I've had five businesses, I think, in my, in my life. Nice. not even including acting and all yeah. that. Um, but, you know, acting was interesting because then, you know, I graduate, I'm out in the world, I have fun for a year, then I go, okay, let me do this acting thing. And, and I start auditioning and, and I start booking things. But then I notice a pattern where um, everything that doesn't pay me, I book and everything where there's money on the line, I don't book hmm. that I find some way to self-sabotage. Hmm. So that's really when I started to understand Yes, my coping mechanisms. Yes, what I went through. Yes, the awareness of stuff. But then going, whoa, how does this manifest in how I believe and how I'm showing up? Yeah. And that was, I then I, I started to understand how I felt about money. And look, I grew up with my dad being like, money doesn't grow on trees. You got to work hard to make money. You know, rich people are terrible. You know, like that was his mentality. So that was my mentality, right? right. Um, but then part of my rebellion was rebelling against this sounds terrible, but I think either we model our parents or we rebel against them. Yep. I rebelled against everything my parents did, said, stood for. I've, I'm the exact opposite of both of them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I made it my mission, I think, I don't remember how old I was, but it was still early 20s to, to figure that out and to solve that. So I read every business book I could under the sun. I was trying to figure out, you know, my limiting beliefs and how to reframe them and how to stop that self-sabotage and all those excuses I was making was just my parents' voice and they weren't mine. Those are their stories, not my stories. And it took me a long time to switch it. But once I did, then I booked like seven commercials and then I nice. booked an off-Broadway show, you know, and got to work with Steven Schwartz and like all this stuff happened, yeah. but it was all 
all mental. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I, I kind of, to a great degree, think, well, I don't know, not to get too esoteric, but I think this is all just an illusion. Um, you know, <laughs> do you believe her in the matrix? Are you one of them? <laughs> well, so I have a, I have a little moment in my kind of intro trailer to what this channel is. Okay. And my, I basically say, you know, all the world, you know, I quote Shakespeare, all the world's a stage, all the men and women yeah. are merely players. And, um, that's the only part of it that I actually repeat. And every now and again, I'll memorize, memorize it and then I'll forget parts of it. But uh -huh. the reason why I quote that is because for me, from a very early age, that was truth. Mm. This is all a game. This is all a play. And as far as I'm concerned, Shakespeare understood what we now refer to as simulation theory. So, and if you look at uh, ancient cultures and you look at um, primitive cultures and you look at um, Greek mythology or, or Vedic texts, the dream, the illusion, the simulation, it's all there. And it's been there. This concept has been there for thousands of years. So the reason why it's now simulation theory is because of the matrix, the movie, the matrix right. just changed the language and change the story, our reference point for what this um, reality is or isn't. And, you know, the um, Socrates, Plato, I think Plato, I can't remember who is, who, who first really thought of, it's a little bit off topic, but we'll, we'll stick with it for a half a second. Uh, idealism. So idealism okay. as we know it today, um, originally started as a philosophical um, equation stating that everything comes from consciousness. The mental is the all and everything comes from the mental and materialism basically states, nope, matter is real and everything mm -hmm. comes out of matter. And so a true materialist believes that our consciousness isn't real and our experience is, is just, it, it's, a it's a accident of, it's an emergent property of um, chemicals and whatever, whatever coming together. So most scientists will, <laughs> will are traditional materialists. And I can't remember who started the materialist movement, but it came later. And the idealist is no, the mental is all, and we are creations of our, of our consciousness. So, and then there's all kinds of amazing texts and amazing religions and amazing philosophies that bolster one side or the other. I believe that they're both yeah. right. Um, <laughs> because the only way you can have this physical existence is if the material uh, is there. And the only way we can have consciousness is if uh, the mental is the all, and then it yeah. utilizes the physical. Anyways, this is all getting <laughs> way in the weeds. Um, the, 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 the point of, of bringing all that up um, really is, is, is the acting element and the, all mm -hmm. the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I feel like as an actor, you know, we can have this conversation about what role are you playing in your life? Are you playing mm -hmm. the victim? Are you playing the, um, I don't know what's what's the word your father your father railed against the rich people you know screw yeah. the rich people right like are you playing that role 
And these are roles we put on that then limit us to our own station or relegate us to, yeah. you know, a, mm -hmm. a hell, a prisoner or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so getting away from kind of the esoteric philosophical, you know, or quantum physics of it all, there's a very practical reality in this idea that we're just playing roles and how mm -hmm. do we break out of those characters and play different roles. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you, you may not have thought about it like that, but I feel like that's exactly what you were doing. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. At, at what point in time, like, I know you're still acting as I am because mm -hmm. we're addicts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Um, <laughs> we're we're driven by some internal spirit how about that's a, that's a yeah. much more romantic way there we go that. i love it um <laughs> but we are both entrepreneurs seeking yes. to add value to other people's existence and mm -hmm. in whatever way we can mm -hmm. so at what point in time like in this whole process this kind of gets into again the, the many lives that you've led at what point in time did you realize all of your coping mechanisms and all of your analysis and your your joy had the ability to empower other people? Ooh, what a good question. Well, you know, there's that point in New York where I was uh, educating myself, right? And I said, I, I was sick of I was sick of being that starving actor. I was sick of being that failing actor. I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't know my goals or who I am or what I sell, or I don't have talent. It's like something, it's this other thing. Right. So that's when I started, you know, figuring out all the limiting beliefs and, and excuses work. And I do a lot of that in the courses that I, that I teach. Um, but also at that time I was really, I was reading business books and coming up with branding principles, marketing strategies, looking at how businesses were doing that and going, how can I apply that to me, the person? How can I apply that to me, the creative artist? Mm -hmm. And that's when my career started taking off. So then there was a point where, you know, because all, all the complaining actors were like, you know, hanging out together. You know, I was in the complaining actor circle and then I started moving it's out of the complaining place actor. To be, isn't it? Oh, it's a terrible circle. It's a terrible one. It's a terrible place. Um, Ugh, I, I refuse to go back there. Um, so I was moving I, out of it and people were saying, can I take you out for coffee? Can I pick your brain? What's going on? So after like, you know, the 42nd free coffee date, I went, mm -hmm. huh, I think I have a skill set. I think actors don't know how to do this. And I've mm -hmm. taken this time to figure this out. And I was like, I wonder if I could coach on this. So I started like charging like $45 an hour or something you know, for nice. coaching sessions. Yeah. And that's how I started my business. And that's when I realized I can, I can help people. I can teach people something that I love, that I loved learning. I love, I mean, I love, I, I love business strategies. I love learning new things. I love frameworks. I love systems. I love structure. I love that stuff. I thrive in that stuff. Yeah. And that's what that, the creative brain doesn't like that stuff, which is most actors. I feel like I'm a very balanced left and right brain person. Mm -hmm. And I know how to like switch it on and off. Um, but realizing that most people don't have that. So, so that's when I started my business and it was so fulfilling to coach someone, have them go, what? And then all of a sudden they got a Broadway show or all of a sudden they got this or they got their first agent. And, and that's when everything started, you know, teaching started opening up and, 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 but I think starting that business, I started my first company that well, I started my first coaching company in 2007, okay. um, and started teaching at universities all over New York. Um, got a member 
I first, my, one of my first times teaching was at NYU where I went to school. And um, when I would get nervous, my chest would get like bright red and my neck would get red, right? I'd get this like nervous rash. And I was, I had a business partner in my first business and he looked over at me. He's like, and afterwards he was like, oh my God, I thought you were having a heart attack. I thought you were going to pass out. <laughs> I was so nervous. And now I can like get in front of people and talk. But what I think, what I think that business taught me, which is, here's the thing, as an actor, I always thought acting was being someone else. I always thought acting was hiding, right? Because yeah. I was hiding from the life that I had and from, I got to be somebody else, which was thrilling. And now I know acting is showing pieces of myself and allowing that to be seen, right? So but, I just gotta, yeah. I gotta show this for a second. So my secret, um, I, have a, I have kind of a bit of a secret reason for acting all my life. I mean, I have, there's so many mm -hmm. reasons that I love acting and, and why I want to do it. And, um, but one of the kind of more secret reasons <laughs> is that I feel like acting gives you the power to uh, self-realize or, mm -hmm. or, or shed light on all of the different planes. Like yeah. if, you know, if three-dimensional space is made up by infinite two-dimensional planes, you know, up, mm -hmm. down, left, right, whatever, then acting gives you the opportunity to shine light on all of those different planes and all yeah. of those different aspects to really just, you know, become a, become a, a self-realized person. I don't know. I don't know how to explain Yeah, I, like, I, I agree. I yeah. agree. And There's so much to grow within yourself when you're playing another person and trying to understand them and their psychology. And yes, it's, it's thrilling. It's yeah. so thrilling. And that's, uh, that's actually, I think probably the biggest reason for me that I don't think I could ever not be an actor because I, I I'm not sure if I am anything, if not an actor, because mm -hmm. the more I dive into me, um, I would say the, the more I find the more sides of myself, the more aspects of myself and, and then it goes back to the idea of simulation theory, or this is all a dream or just an illusion, because it's like, well, what part of me would you like to see? <laughs> and, and, and then you get to also find out who triggers what side of you. And it's oh, yeah. like, like, huh, that's interesting. This person's bringing up, you know, a little bit of uh, anxiety or, or, or animosity wow. or, um, you know, whatever. Um, wh where is that coming from? And you can see, like when I, the first time I went to Europe, I would see people that I knew constantly. I didn't know any of these people, but I just was like, oh, there's John, there's Todd, there's um, Jen, there's, you know, and mm -hmm. they weren't them, but like their energy and their kind of the way they carried themselves was so similar. It's like, it. oh, wow. And I just noticed like how, similar we all are and mm -hmm. how the different roles we're playing are everywhere and yeah. like yeah different version of versions of ourselves in in italy in germany you know in whatever country yeah. or from whatever country and it 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 just bolstered this idea of of we're all just playing these roles <laughs> it's just, it, you know um oh my gosh Okay, this is okay. something that I'm curious. You're not a famous actress, right? Unless no. unless something happened. Okay. Not yet. Um, not yet, right. Um, so yeah. I 
I've beat my head so hard. And so I'm kind of curious to see what your thoughts are, because this kind of goes into coping mechanisms and, and how mm. we deal with not getting what we want. Um, I, you know, I am like you, I, I am left brain, I am right brain, I am science, I am art, I am mm -hmm. this weird yeah. amalgamy, and sometimes it gets blurry, and I'm speaking science from an artistic standpoint, and just really <laughs> confusing the hell out of someone who's actually like a science person, right. uh, or, or an art person for that matter, right. um, and I have felt that, and this is really just from feedback from agents and managers and casting directors, mm -hmm. that it's like, we need someone that's really this and you're kind of this, or we need someone that fits into this. And, and I used to think, man, I'm just not doing a good enough job uh, really showing them how to use me and yeah. showing them like, I can be this, but like part of it's, I need to know this because, you know, if I'm going to show you this, then I need to know what you're looking for. And because, you know, the business used to be a business of acting. Now the business is a business of personality. So if you come in, whatever personality you come with is how they decide who you are. So I had casting right. directors, my manager would say, well, this casting director won't bring you in because they think you're a drama and, and they're doing a comedy. This casting director is now doing a drama and they think you're a comedy and too funny and aren't serious enough for to do what they're doing. And it's like, do these people not talk? <laughs> like, no, I've done it both. Um, but I'm not complaining. I'm not, you know, that's kind of where I was for a good period of time. Mm -hmm. And I finally gave up fighting, trying to get people to see me. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to bring what I bring. They're going to see it. They're not going to see it, whatever. But what I'm trying to get at is you were not, you don't represent the typical female character. You are a very dynamic, very multifaceted, multidimensional, powerful woman. Mm -hmm. And I've seen you perform enough times in workshop to know how you come off and what your kind of default is. You know, mm -hmm. not that sure. I haven't seen you put on some different masks and, and I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know she existed. Mm -hmm. um, but in most of your defaults, you come off as very powerful, multidimensional and multifaceted. And let's face it, most female characters are not written multidimensional, multifaceted. So to me, you know, from what I've seen, I would say that's a little bit of a hindrance mm -hmm. uh, in booking work. Sure. So like, how have you managed that expectation and, you know, <laughs> that, um, that kind of reality because it's out of your control. It's not something that you can, like, I would, yeah. I would go into some auditions, just want to try to hit all the kind of clarification points. <laughs> I would go into auditions sometimes and I would off balance myself or stand in a way where I was kind of off balance because I knew 90% of the time people thought of me as incredibly grounded and, and stable. And sure. so I would literally go in and do what I could to kind of, kind of feel, have, give off an impression like I might just fall over. <laughs> and, um, and it actually worked um, more than once, but so like, 
this is <laughs> this is a coping mechanism for dealing with things you can't control. Yes. And then and also trying to like what can you control? And you know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of a, a little bit of a multifaceted question. Does it all make yeah. sense and how you dealt with things? And it does. That's that's what, why I started my business essentially is to help actors do that. Right. Because look, I, I can't deny that I have a strong bone structure. Yeah. I can't deny that um, I, I, I talk with conviction. I can't yeah. deny those things. Yep. I can't deny that I have good enunciation, you know, but what I can do, I what I know I'm in, but I am in control of how how I show up. Mm -hmm. So when I have a role that might be, cause that's why I always play like upper-class wealthy women. I'm like, I, I never, that's not how I grew up. That's not my story. It's not anything, but now, but knowing how I am perceived, knowing how, um, yeah, the, the perception of who I am, I know how to, I don't want to say shift that. I know what to do to subliminally allow them to see something else. Yeah. I know what to wear to shift that perception. I know how to change my hair, my makeup to change that perce perception. I know how to change even just how I speak just a little bit to change that perception for roles. Because I think we are way more in control than we think of how we want people to see. Because you're already talking about all the freaking masks we wear, all the people that we are. It's just, what are you shining a flashlight on? It's like the Jungian theory of psychology. It's like we have the, the anima and the animus. So it's like, what are you, what are you putting the flashlight on? We have all of this stuff within us, but what are you showing? So I think if you can really understand who you are, how you're perceived, how you want to show up in the business, number one, because if you don't bring yourself in the equation, you're just going to get bitter, jaded, burnt out and leave the business. We see it every day. Um, but you got to understand all that. Then you can make very specific, strategic marketing decisions yep. to show people what you want them to see. Yep. You know, no, I think that's awesome. That's I, I mean, that, I mean, that really just kind of, I think perfectly encapsulates, um, what we should be doing in all aspects of our lives, period. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. like to me, the acting business, because it is a, is an incredibly brutal business because more often than not, they don't really want to know you until they want to know you and they're not going to want right. to know you until they need you and they don't want to need you until they need you <laughs> so and then, then and, they don't need you and then they want to someone who's like you yep, yep, yep. Uh, and then they want a younger version of you <laughs> so um you know i feel like in some weird way the entertainment industry primarily being an actor is a microcosm of everything and anything that can go wrong in any other aspect of business. And we, in some way, are the canary in the coal mm -hmm. mine of what's going on. Mm. Like the, there's certain things that I noticed 20 years ago, um, which are now, and, and because I was living in Wilmington, North Carolina, um, trying to get acting work right out of college. Um, there's a whole weird reason why I ended up there. But um, and while there, I found out that I wasn't thought of as a white guy. Um, but I also wasn't thought of as an ethnic guy either. Mm. Um, and I wasn't white enough for any of the white roles that were cast in out of Wilmington, North Carolina 20 years ago over 20 years ago now. And I wasn't ethnic enough to be the ethnic guy. And then um, 
and so it was it was a conundrum of like okay if this is not how they see me how can i begin to change things and it it's there's other factors involved you know for me uh personally but um it was a it was a fascinating kind of discovery of really looking at how i saw people how other people saw me yeah. Sure. how we see each other yep. and, and how we can be invisible, um, or be seen. And like, yeah. I would go to parties and practice being invisible and then practice being mm -hmm. seen just to kind of see like how to, you know, um, kind of shift my polarity, if you will. Sure. Um, so, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I have, I just think what you what you're doing in general, I think, really has a much broader appeal um, mm -hmm. than just the entertainment industry. And um, did you know Sam? Um, yes. Yeah. Hutchinson. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a couple meetings. We would refer people to each other. He was he was a lovely human. <laughs> he was amazing. I loved him. Um, why did I say his name? Um, we did a lot of brand work essence yes. work as well oh yeah um yeah it, it, I, just, I, mean, I just think that work in general is just so important you know i think i think or else we're fighting we're fighting all the time you know i can't like i, I want i want to play this why won't they see me for this and it's like okay well because that's not what we see, you know. If you want me to see that, well, then we got to shift your packaging. We got to shift what we're seeing here. It's like straightening your hair, coloring your hair a different color, whatever. Like, what can you control, right? Um, but you, you gotta. I think people spend so much time fighting, being all things to all people, giving their power away, trying to be the people pleasers. Most actors are people pleasers. Most artists are people pleasers. Most women can be people pleasers, you know. So we tend to just go, "What do you need? What do you need? What do you need?" I'll be it as opposed to, but who do you want to be? And how, how, what is the perception of you? And is that how you really want to show up? And also being patient for you to have, or find the team that's willing to go along for that ride. Yeah. yeah. Because I've totally. gone through so many agents that just didn't want to go down one path or the other with me. Mm. They had their own agenda and yeah, right. yeah. trying to get them on board was difficult um because they, they've been around for a long time and they know what they're doing <laughs> like really right right <laughs> you know? yeah. give our power away like sometimes we know but we'll give the power away yeah you know it's fascinating going back to sort of um you know masks roles this that too you know i think you know i've been teaching branding to actors for over 13 years now and you know even my systems of, of doing that have um shifted um, and one big thing that I include now and in what I teach is, is themes mm -hmm. and like, what themes are you drawn to? Um, because, you know, some people are just like, oh, brand, oh, I'm bubbly. That's my brand. Or, oh, I'm the Jessica Chastain type. That's my brand. It's like, no, it's more than that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's deeper than that. Um, and people don't think of it that way. And, you know, like really thinking about like, what, what are you drawn to? What are those roles that you're like, oh God, I love that. Or what's that movie you watch over and over and over again and really examining all those pieces and going, well, what's the common thread though? What's the, what's the glue that's holding all of this together? You know? And when I did that for me, it's like all of my women struggle, but persevere. <laughs> all of my women are fighting for something 
whether that's to be seen, love, justice, truth, revenge, they're fighting for something. They're not passive women. <laughs> Do you know what I, mean? I don't play passive women. Right. Um, and a lot of them are um, elitist and narcissistic, which that struck me when I was like, why is that something I'm drawn to? Or why do people see me as that? And it didn't hit me even until last year when I went, oh, my mom's a narcissist. Oh, isn't that funny? I want to understand my mother better. Yeah. So that's why I always wanted to play those roles and was yeah. drawn to those roles is I wanted to understand my mother. So I think understand, I think that's what keeps me in this business and keeps me going is it's mm -hmm. not like, let me play this co-star nurse and then I move on to this. And then it's like, no, like what are the stories I'm telling and how am I bringing myself to all of these roles? And I know I'm in it for the long haul. I have longevity yeah. in it. Like it's going to hit. It's just when it's my time, yeah. you know, yeah. and I always knew I was going to hit later in my career just because of my presence and strength in like I, I go in for women much older than I am and I don't book it because they always cast someone older, but it's just how I carry myself. So I know that. So some of my self-sabotage actually comes from something that I keyed into when I was a child and didn't even realize it uh, mm -hmm. was it was a was a hazard to my younger career. Um, but when I watched Star Wars when I was a child and every year after that, right, the person that I most identified with and the person that I most wanted to emulate and, and be was Obi-Wan Kenobi. I wanted to be yeah. the old man as a little kid. <laughs> but come on, we all wanted to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I think I might've taken it to another level. My first meeting in New York, I went into, um, I went met with like Wilhelmina. I, I, met, I had a meeting with the, I don't know, muckety, high muckety muck at Esquire magazine, you know, men's magazine. And I sat okay. down with yeah, her yeah, yeah. And, and she's like, you know, I really like you. You're really interesting. She's like, but you know, we've got a problem. I was like, okay. And she's like, you are, you look too young to, to be an adult, to be a man, you know, to kind of fit that role, those, you know, that right. type of look and everything else. Um, but you give off a power uh, of someone a lot older. And yeah. we need those two to kind of, mm -hmm. you know, come together. Yeah. And to a great extent, um, my, it was far more important to me to, to become an old Jedi Knight <laughs> than it was to understand um, how to be uh, a young uh, a young guy or whatever. Sure. And it wasn't until I had, um, I think I was like maybe 28 uh, or so, like maybe even my 30th, around my 30th, that I, I had a group of male friends and mostly by circumstance, I had these friends. Um, and they taught me how to be one of the guys. And then I started running into um, this issue of, well, we, we like you for this lead role, but we need a name. Right. And, um, and so I was like, well, being a dude sucks then. <laughs> I'm like, screw this. <laughs> And, um, and that was, you know, that was my early thirties was yeah. like constantly getting beat out, uh, or being told, man, if Jake Hall doesn't take this, you know, this is going to be a great project for you. <laughs> like, well, is he going to pass? No, <laughs> you know, or, or whatever. 
yeah. whatever the circumstances was. So, right. yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting journey, but at the end of the day, that, and that, that need to become the, the Jedi master, that the need to become self-realized, the need to understand, you know, these higher mystic levels of mm -hmm. human existence um, were more important to me. Yeah. And ultimately that's really not good for your acting career. If you're like the, you know, the young jock, uh, what a uh, frat boy or, or, you know, Right. I don't know if I can play a frat boy. <laughs> like maybe if he's a sadistic alcoholic frat boy, like that could be fun. I'd do that. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been an, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting journey of, of human experience for sure. Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> I, I think we've kind of tied up what we need to tie up. So what <laughs> last kind of thoughts and feelings? I, oh, I remember why I brought up Sam Christensen. Oh. Um, he evidently works with a lot of people outside of the entertainment industry. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't know if that's right for you or whatever, but that's what I was thinking because, you know, wow, you just, what you do and, and your knowledge and skill base has such, um, such a, an important, I think, um, basis in reality and humanity that I feel like you could help anybody, mm -hmm. even though your classes are really Thank geared you. towards the entertainment industry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so do you, you know, it, it, well, it, it goes back to like the different lives, right? So, you know, my first company I had was a savvy actor and it was all about coaching actors. And I had that business for about eight, nine years. My business partner, and I had a falling out after I moved to Los Angeles. It was like a huge, messy divorce, even though we were never married, you know, but it happens with business partners. Good times, yeah. Good times. Um, and I reactively started another company and called it Accelerated Artist under the guise of expansion, right? Mm -hmm. Into um, you know, small business owners, creative entrepreneurs, that kind of thing. And I started doing that and six months into it, oh, I was not happy. I was not a happy girl. And I realized that my identity was tied up in being a coach. So I reactively started another business as opposed to taking right. a breath. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, well, now I get to expand this and go to all these places because people told me that my work could do that. So I was like, well, let me do it. It's not what I wanted to do. I got mm. further and further and further away from acting, right? And yeah. like the other roles that I wanted to be in my life. Um, yeah, so I did that business for maybe a year and a half and then walked away from it. And um, I had another partner at the time, a, a woman who was a career coach with me and I trained her as a coach of my former company. And then I, I honestly left the business to her. I left the business to her and all my intellectual property. And I was like, I need to leave. I need wow. to go. And I said, so you bold. You do with this what you will. I said, it's still mine. I'm going to use it again later, but yeah, I need yeah. a break. And, and I left. But also during that time, I also got divorced, um, dismantled a production company that I had, <laughs> left that business. It was like, so that was that was a big, um, you know, change, life change. At that yeah, point. we could probably do a second episode <laughs> just on that, just on divorce, oh, production company and, and career shifting identity. I mean, that, because that's, I'm sure just full of amazing experience and and um valuable you know nuggets of of wisdom and and you know for for the world to, to <laughs> you know at some point maybe you know if you're sure. willing to share all that sure yeah, yeah it was definitely a big shift but that's when 
started kicking off for me. That's when my audiobook career started kicking off for me. That's when I finally made six figures in my business. Like all this stuff started happening just to like shed everything and go, I can't, this is not what I wanted. Now I get, now let me start from truth. Yeah. And that was, that was power. That was yeah. Powerful. That's awesome. It was that's scary. Really awesome. Very scary. But it was powerful. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I think to some extent, that's kind of why I'm doing this um, because this is, you know, on my own, this is who I like being more than anything mm -hmm. else. And so this is the role that I like playing. I want to see how I can help people. And yeah. I want to kind of get inside people's heads and find out why they do what they do. And I think that's valuable for other people. Um, mm -hmm. on, a, on a more collaborative level, like if I'm going to work with other people, there's that my, my priorities start to shift or what mm -hmm. I need or what I want starts to shift. Yeah. Uh, or the role that I want to take on or not don't want to take on starts to shift. And I think that's a, a super valuable thing for people to understand. Like you do have to do what you are drawn to, even if it's against your financial interest, so to speak. Right. In the long run, it will be your most beneficial um, choice. Always. It yeah. always will. The money will come, you know. It, it will it's but it's it's got to i must be just feel like I, I think for so many years i just felt trapped in what i created mm. you know um but then some we don't always have that or i didn't have the time i'll speak for myself to figure out what i really wanted i didn't take the space to do that you know because you got to keep going gotta keep going and this next audition this thing i gotta make money i gotta do this i gotta do that um but if we're not doing something because it's part of our value system or if we're not doing it because it's our truth or it feels authentic or I don't know. It's, it's like, what's the point? What's the point? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I think there's something to be said for slowing down and finding out what the point is, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I think from, um, you know, from a materialistic standpoint, you know, we need our tools to be sharp. And, yeah. you know, to carry that into more of the idealistic, if, if, uh, if our consciousness, if our mental, you know, um, tools aren't sharp, then again, how effective are we going to be at doing whatever we're doing? Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to get dulled, um, which has so many connotations <laughs> by things that are of little to no interest. Mm -hmm. and uh it, you know it 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 causes problems more often than not <laughs> always always and life is too short you know one of the big things that drives me um i just feel so i feel so compelled to leave a legacy i feel so compelled to leave something bigger than myself yeah and whether that's through you know uh, something i write something i produce something i act in or the teachings and my programs i want them to live beyond me i want to leave something here and i feel so compelled to do that i know i'm not having kids it's not part of my plan i, I raised a special needs daughter i feel like in my life already um and i just feel so compelled to leave a legacy and that that's what that's what drives me and, and that's now what keeps me sort of in alignment with my vision right yeah. what's the legacy i want to leave I, and before i moved out here um you know back in like 2000 ish 1999 2000 ish i i was reading some play and um 
for whatever reason, it just kind of sparked me. And I wrote on the cover of the play to be immortal for others. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that because to some extent, I feel like, you know, immortality is not for us it's for the future generations mm, so sure. if you're if you're seeking immortality again this is me going esoteric but <laughs> seeking immortality then it really has to be about what you're doing for other people right because otherwise it has no value like just to be alive forever has no value unless right right you're doing doing it to cultivate something for others. And that's, I think, what a legacy is. A legacy is immortality, which is really about, you know, allowing people to stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm. You know, don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I mean, <gasps> closing thoughts. I, you know, I'll make sure to put your links in the, uh, in the, in the um, bio description, show notes and everything. Um, and what are your closing thoughts? And we can always do a round two, of course, because there's, oh, there's so much more there. Um, gosh, uh, oh, I don't know. I feel like we've, we've talked about so much. Um, no pressure. I feel like the legacy was my closing thoughts, but yeah, no, I, I think that's a great, that's a great place to end because you do have, you are, you have created something amazing. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, that was, that was part of my, my interest in having you on is that I think what you're doing is really interesting. And it's, like I said, I think the value is greater than um, just the entertainment business. Obviously you've explored that and that's not for you, but <laughs> you know, that doesn't mean other people can't learn from you and can't, you know, see what you're doing and, and find value in it, even, even from a distance. So. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I will. Don't forget to leave a comment or a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. New episodes every Tuesday and check us out on YouTube for short clips from each episode. Thank you. And until next time, remember your life story is yours to write and rewrite as many times as you want.